RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com forward slash books. Use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off all books and graphic novels. It's 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so it must be time for Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau, your co-host for this live episode this evening, and with me, continuing her journey through Star Trek Discovery with Episode 4, Forget Me Not, is Holly Amos. Holly, how are you? And welcome back. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. I'm very excited that you're back. I'm very excited that I actually have my brain wired on straight for this episode because believe you me, it has been it's been a heck of a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's been a it's been a wild uh, I feel like it's been kind of a wild week. <laughs> a, wild, if a wild week that feels like uh I don't know, months sometimes, years sometimes, but hey, you know what? That's that. This is now. Let's talk some Star Trek. Let's get into it because this episode is awesome. And speaking of awesome, I'd like to say hi to all of our fantastic fans and listeners and viewers in the chat. So I'd like to say hello to Eric. Hello, Eric. I'd like to say hello to Dave, Evelyn. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these peeps have been and like chatting up a storm for this episode. Looks like there's a lot of love going on. One of the many Pauls. Many One, Pauls. The Paul Fecta. I had, um, I had, to say, I had Paul Fecta trademark. I just put that in for U.S. trademark submission. And also, um, uh, was it Paul? Is it Paul Nicopia? Because I wanted Paul, Paul Nicopia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, a uh, in for a submission. Uh, hello, Dominic. Nice to have you here. Hello, Dave. Hello, Chris. Chris Riker. Jane is with us tonight. Peter. Yes, there is one of the Pauls. I'm trying to see if we're having a Paul Fecta tonight. Yes, we have Paul two. Paul three. There we go. Paul Fecta, which makes the evening a total success. So, so glad you're all here. Hello, Scott. Um, just keep scrolling down, scrolling down. Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Tate. Uh, nice to have you all with us. And Matt- <laughs> Chris, Chris Recker says that I am drinking a piping hot interphase juice. Uh, I'm actually drinking a cold drink, but. It's an Arachnogeno mug. It's an Arachnogeno mug. Vintage, vintage Arachnogeno mug, which I want. I'm so jealous, so jealous. Um, so thank you all for joining us, and I uh, just wanted to let you know that if you wanted to get into the queue for the chat this evening, make sure that you call 669-900-6833, that's 669-900-6833, or you know how to use the Zoom meeting ID, you know how to use your OneTap on your mobile device. So any of those ways you want to get in touch with us, Earl is waiting for your call. Do we so feel like people are more like advanced in Zoom usage since everybody's had to start working from home? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> but but here's my big my big gripe with say the professionals that have been on Zoom for the you know the majority of the of the shutdown, especially you know like uh, reporters and pundits and people who I think should know that they shouldn't be using like an open like broad-based mic to pick up everything in their room. That's why I wear a headset. I'm like, I can't. There's too much noise. <laughs> I know. 
I know. And I'm so surprised that like um, broadband over the course of say, like really important interviews isn't as stable, say with, uh, you know, senators or politicians that are like calling in and trying to like keep people updated with current events and they just keep phasing in and out like sunspots or right over their house or something. <laughs> but anyway. But that I do is, feel like people are a little bit more well-versed. I feel like people are progressively not having as many technical problems simply because everybody is used to this now. <laughs> is this our new normal? I think it is in, in a way. For a while. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get this wrapped up here pretty soon. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Big time, big time. So I just want to tell everyone what's coming up here on Mission Log, both Mission Log and Mission Log Live. Next week, Holly is going to be coming back with us, and she's going to be back with John, and they're going to start uh, talk Star Trek Discovery Episode 5, Die Trying. So, wow, that's, very, that's a very extreme title. Yeah, it's a really harsh title. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit scared. And we didn't see a preview either at the end of Episode 4. Mm, or did we? No, I there know was I a didn't. preview at the end of... Uh, the um, ready room episode, but it was, it was just a a quick scene between Saru and Michael. Um, So uh, not a lot, (laughs) Uh, but I mean, die trying makes me feel like somebody dies trying something. What? I don't know. Yeah. But I I hope hope not. That just sounds so extreme. (laughs) (laughs) Also, this Thursday, we have our regular Mission Log drop. We are going to be talking uh, business as usual from Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 5. And if you've been paying attention to Twitter, and I know many of you have been because of all the tweets and retweets and likes, as per the rules, cufflinksinc.com, who have supplied um, roddenberry.com with these. I keep Other side. Other side. There you go. These wonderful pins that I actually am showing off correctly this evening. They've uh, supplied us with 10 Star Trek lapel pins uh, to Mission Log listeners. So we will pick five winners, each from our Facebook and Twitter pages. That's five from Facebook, five from Twitter. The contest entry is pinned at the top of each page. So just like it, tag a friend. The contest ends on December 1st, and we will pick winners at random. And when we mean random, which we mean uh, $100 bills or any bills that equal a hundred dollars that's what i call random just just saying you know it's I completely out of a star trek hat yeah you know i'm just or odo's bucket i remember one year at star trek las vegas we picked um tickets out of odo's bucket the real bucket yeah oh that's fantastic was there any <laughs> uh, were they were they gooey was there any gooey bashir hanging out <laughs> no, in that bucket no of course not clean, clean bucket yeah it was a clean <laughs> it was a clean odo bucket <laughs> So it's, what do you say we jump into some poll stuff? Because the polls are actually, they're, they're working for us now on Twitter, at least. And I know we can only do four. Did you have any consternations with, um, with the poll choices for your four for this week? Did you have any ones that didn't make the list? Uh, yeah, mm. actually rejoined. I was, and I know that a lot of people <gasps> yeah. are, yeah, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, no, I'll explain. It. Okay, so let's go through okay. last, <laughs> last week's poll uh, was, what is the best Star Trek tree for obvious reasons? Because we mm. see the giant Starfleet 
headquarters tree at mm-hmm. the end of the episode. Uh, so we got 25 votes, and <laughs> the one with Finnegan got 24%. Oh. The one in the Nexus, which is a Christmas tree, got 16%. Mm-hmm. The one at Starfleet headquarters got 32%. That's the big elm tree that we see. Mm-hmm. And, well, we assume is the, the elm tree that Picard also hung out around. And the one on Catan, a very important tree, got 28%. So this week we're asking what is the best Trill episode? We already have 82 votes. Um, and again, guys, I, we can, they only give us the option for four. So like if there's one that I, that I forgot, I swear I probably didn't forget it. I just had, I really had to stress over which one. So uh, TNG's the host currently has 14.6%. Obviously TNG's the host introduced the species, although they were in different makeup. Um, but the concept of them hosting the actual symbiont is that's where it was introduced. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nine's Dax currently has 34.1%. I p- had to put that one because it is a very uh, important episode in terms of expansion on the trill. It's very early in deep space nines first season. So obviously that had to go DS nines equilibrium ha- currently has 22.9% had to choose that because we also see the caves in that episode. And then mm-hmm. obviously this week's episode discoveries forget me not is included. It currently has 27.7%. We also see, I mean, obviously like the pools in the caves are the biggest deal in this episode so i'm sorry i couldn't include rejoined also a great trill episode uh but someone had to be sacrificed my apologies and um i know i'm gonna probably get this wrong but it was facets i believe was also a really good trill episode that's the one where all of dax's former hosts come back <laughs> there's also an episode where the Dax symbiote gets stolen from dax oh, yeah there's right, a, right, there's right. a few more that are great but yeah. it mm, Rejoin must have been a tough one because Rejoin's pretty. It's 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 a pretty substantial episode. When it, it is a very substantial history. episode, but yeah. I I made my choices. <laughs> I like it. I I think these are these are good. I like the for the reasons why because you know you have to obviously understand the trill as a species, right? Right. And you have to understand the caves too. Yeah, yeah. That's why I I was like, well, it was but I was actually between equilibrium and rejoined, and I was like, I I got I got to give it to equilibrium. I gotta I gotta include that, but But only in context of this week's episode that we're discussing. So, um, yeah, (laughs) I'm sure that people have very good, positive, strong feelings about rejoined. We already know, like, it's a great episode. So rejoined is a great episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you say we jump into what I believe is a great episode? I hope you feel the same way. But we're going to jump into the recap of Forget Me Not. So here we go. Clear my throat. As Discovery undergoes some very much needed repairs, Dr. Hugh Culber walks the corridors and observes that the crew also needs repairs. They need to heal to reconnect with each other, especially Detmer, who appears to be more detached than most. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Dr. Pollard confirms that Adira is hosting the Trill symbiont Tal but a human trill joining is beyond their understanding. Adira has no memory of how she was joined before being rescued by the United Earth Defense Force, so they set out to trill for answers. Dr. Culber encourages Michael Burnham to escort Adira to the surface because he believes that it would help her work through some of her own disorientation. Upon reaching the surface, Burnham and Adira meet the trill elders Voss, Guardian Z, and Leader Pav, who, after a brief discourse, shun her and demand her to leave. As they are supposedly being escorted to the ship, Voss tries to arrest them, but Burnham foils his plans as Guardian Z appears, taking them to the caves of Makala. 
Z believes Adira is the only future for his people and wants to reconnect Adira with Tal's memories. Back on Discovery, Saru struggles with the means to heal his crew, as Dr. Culber suggested. The computer strangely recommends a movie night, but Saru settles on giving the crew a night off duties and invites his command staff for a family-style dinner. But as family dinners go, sometimes what was supposed to be a moment of healing only exposes the pain and depression many of the crew are suffering. In the caves, Adira surrenders herself to the mystical powers of the pool and suddenly disappears. Z pleads for Burnham to go in after her, just as Voss and Trillider Pav barge into the cave to try and stop the ceremony. Z begs them to let Burnham save Adira in hopes of also saving the Trill's only hope for a future. Amidst the wondrous depths of the pool, Burnham finds Adira and emboldens her to reconnect with Tal's memory synapses. In doing so, Adira confronts the very memory which created her emotional trauma, the death of her beloved Grey. Mortally wounded by an explosion, Grey was dying, and Adira chose to save him and all that was and is Tal by choosing to become his host. By embracing this memory, all the lives that were Tal also became known to her and accepted Adira with loving trust. Back on Discovery, Tilly returned to Saru's table, thanking him for what he attempted to do, as Stamets also came back and apologized to Tilly, knowing that he has treated her unfairly while working through a great deal of his own personal traumas. With the Elder's blessing, Adira and Burnham returned to Discovery, knowing that one day the Trill would return to the Federation. It turns out movie night was a huge success, as the crew reveled in a chorus of laughter and forgiveness, just what the Doctor ordered. Or was it Saru? Or was it the Sphere Data who also wanted to protect the crew, as the crew once protected it? In Adira's quarter, she hands Burnham a pad with the information Admiral Senna Tal wanted to her, to her to have, the location of what remains of the Federation. As Burnham leaves, Adira continues playing her cello while Grey appears to her, and only her. They both don't know how this is possible. But for now, Grey can't help but work on his beloved Adira's celloing. The end. Hooray! So uh, that was a very, very quick recap of a very, very, very complex and incredibly emotionally powerful episode. So I apologize if I missed some of the bigger points, but that's what discussion is for. <laughs> so let's, I want to throw in um, the morals, meanings, and messages part of Mission Log because that's what we do at Mission Log. And uh, the, biggest, the biggest message that I took away from this is healing takes trust. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes understanding. And most importantly, it takes the strength to admit that you need help. Vulnerabilities is a very important theme in this episode. And is that what you took away from also at least one part of it that you took away from it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I find it interesting that, and I put this in my notes, uh, most people are aware of the fact that Roddenberry's um, vision was that there was never going to be tension between crew members. And if you watch the original series and most of the next generation, they're really the tension in terms of story writing is coming from some sort of outside source, usually, you know, alien of the week type situation, because Gene really believed that there would not be. That, they, that there shouldn't be tension between the crew members on board the ships. Mm -hmm. And while I think that that's something that's sort of nice to strive 
for. It's obviously like not actually possible, especially when you take into consideration the situation that discovery is in. Um, that there, there's going to be tension, and, and we see that um, especially with Detmer um, when she explodes at the table and is arguing with Stamets because Stamets is kind of the self-annoyed most important person on the ship at this point. There's no, they, they can't do, they can't really do warp drive. If, if they do it too much, they'll run out of dilithium. No dilithium is available. And so he's jumping them and she's arguing that she is the pilot and like she drives the ship and you're not the most important person. And it's, it was a really interesting argument to see and to have all of this sort of bitterness in her bubble up I you know it, having them argue like that is something that that hasn't totally been done on Star Trek um, as an audience I believe that we connect better with the material when it represents hope you know a hope for a better future but it this episode also represented reality like the reality is is that there's always going to be people that don't get along or that have a beef with each other. And it's important for us to see them sort of apologize to each other and and admit their wrongdoings. Um, But yeah, I just, I, that's what I was thinking about when they started arguing as I was like, Oh, Gene, probably this is not the vision that he had, but his vision was also not really based in reality either. You could argue. Well, it's like, it's a, a different optimism for a different time, you know, right. and, and, yeah. and the, uh, the, uh, what they're working through in terms of a crew. And I think it was perfectly captured with uh, Tilly and, and Burnham at the very beginning. Tilly said that we even have, we haven't had time to even kind of um, to, to honor their memories of their, of their lost, you know, and not just right. the lost on discovery, but who they lost in the millennia that they've, you know, that they've gone through, you know, time and they've lost their families. They've lost their friends. They lost generations of their families. If their families even exist anymore, a thousand years later. Right. And his Hughes, Hughes log at the beginning of the episode was a really great um, encapsulation of the crew's feelings and their position. And, and it it was a really great way to kind of um, inform the audience quickly, but effectively on how the crew is doing. Um, It was, that was, that was a brilliant teaser. Yeah, and I love the fact that we we finally have the doctor walk in the hallways and not just taking kind of like the you know the uh, the physicals of the crew with his tricorder, but he's kind of trying to take the emotional uh, the, the the emotional levels of them. As right, well. which is important, and that's what he reports to Saru is that physically they're all sound, but mentally everybody's having a rough time. Yeah, they're not fine. Physically they're fine, but we're not fine. Right. That's okay. That's okay. They'll, they will become fine soon enough. Um, and as much as I would love to, you and I, to keep talking and talking and <laughs> we talking have about callers. This, we have callers and we have many callers and that's so fantastic, which means that everyone is getting something out of this episode and has something to discuss. So let's get to our first caller and our caller is Chris with the headgear. <laughs> I had to break it out. You asked last time. Holly has never seen it, so I felt, you know, we had to bring it on. I also, we, well, during the recap, you might have seen me put it on, so you got to see the process. Uh, but, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Um, uh, once again, we're having a really good episode this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I find really interesting about the uh, Detmer v. Stamets thing 
is that I feel like they're really sort of in the same place, but they haven't realized it yet. Like they're both sort of dealing with losing the the thing that defines them is mm. that Detmer can't pilot because we can't warp and all of that. And we're jumping, but conversely, Samets, you know, we don't want him jumping too much or getting out of commission and we're going to develop the new dark matter, whatever. And so I, it'll be interesting. I want to see how they pursue that. Cause I think they are coming from, similar places and it would be interesting to see them sort of recognize that they were dealing with the same emotions and just, you know, have that sort of interesting resolution there. I mean, there's a lot of despair going on. So they're all, they're all either trying to um, suppress it in some way so that they can keep doing their job or eventually they're going to project it in some way because, you know, everyone kind of um, understands or, they find something in themselves and it's similar to what else someone else is going through and they don't know how to cope with it. So they just let it out at the first person that they feel that deserves it. And I mean, maybe in this case, you know, in, in Detmer and Stamets case, I don't think if Stamets deserves it necessarily, but right. she sure felt she did or he did. But I mean, I feel like it's, it's, it's also, a, it, it's great commentary on mental health, right? So, I have been reading um, books by a woman named Brene Brown, who is a, uh, she's a PhD in shame research. And she talks a lot about vulnerability and being able to, you know, not put up this facade of strength. It actually takes more strength for you to admit that there's a problem, to talk about it, to seek help. Um, So I think that you know, towards the end of the episode, we see characters, Detmer being one of them, being like, I'm, I'm not okay. Yeah. And the admission of that is, is the first step. So I think that, you know, that's some important commentary um, because, you know, as a society, we actually are starting to have discussions about the importance of mental health. So um, yeah, there's a lot of, of the main characters that they had to embrace seeking help. You know, Adira had to embrace it with the trill. And the trill had to embrace it from her because right. they they're, they're, they were wiped out. Yeah, almost all of them. So how do we you know how do we preserve our future if we don't ask for help? Right. So it, it, it's a it's a really wonderful synergy going on with the symbiotes and uh, with with what Burnham's doing because the only way to restore the Federation is to rebuild the Federation upon the principles of why the Federation was founded, because all of these different organizations needed to trust each other in order to move forward in order to get earth out of its, you know, out of the throes of, of world war three and of the eugenics wars. The only way mm-hmm. to do that is to seek is to accept the Vulcans help, but I can't jump the timeline and talk about enterprise. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that years later. Remember this bookmark this point. <laughs> Um, what else you got going on there, Chris, with the episode? Uh, we have, um, a lot of callers here. So I just wanted to get like one last thought from you before we have to move on. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And this could just be a script thing in the way they're sort of structuring the season. But so we found earth and now we found trail, both of which have sort of fallen from grace and lost the ideals of the Federation after the burn. And I get that you might want to withdraw from the governmental organization of the Federation as that it doesn't exist a whole lot after the burn but it's interesting that they both of these they like retreat into isolationism they're like we don't going to we're not going to hang out with the rest of you we're just going to take care of ourselves which i found interesting given you know that there was apparently you know a thousand years of federation before like how do we 
so easily give up those values and like 180 the other way. And I get that part of the season is going to be where, you know, hopping around fetch quests, teaching people the importance of being the hope and all that. But it's, it's interesting that now we're over two, so to speak, in finding, you know, good, caring people. Well, it seems to me, um, and Holly, I'd like to, like to hear your take on this. It seems to me that everyone that they've met with so far that knows of the Federation is waiting for the Federation to return. And these little glimpses of discovery reaching out and trying to do good and trying to establish relationships is kind of like rekindling that spirit. Right. And I I think that all of, I mean, obviously we've seen, you know, earth and then trail, which are two worlds that were part of the the whole Federation when it was a thing. Um, I think they all really do recognize that finding the Federation will kind of pull all of these threads together and uh, you know, it will heal all of the worlds that were part of it, but had to go into, you know, with the earth going into basically isolationism. Um, I found it interesting that Trill wasn't isolated and they were pretty welcoming. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Saru didn't have a problem getting a hold of anybody, you know, as soon as he said, we have, you know, a host on board, which they didn't even ask to see who it was because they didn't even know that it was a human Adira until, you know, they get down to the planet. That's right. when they got, sort of like who is this and she's an abomination because she's not a trill which is also pretty blatant social commentary Mm -hmm. um but i found it interesting that trill wasn't you know i guess they were not being attacked and you know didn't didn't have enough dilithium at at the time that everything happened to be uh to have to put you know a, a thing around their, planet. around their planet yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we did but i mean i feel like we you know us being one of the founding members of the federation and us having starfleet and obviously so many warp capable ships like that's probably the reason why is you know trill is not known for having these like dilithium uh all of this dilithium so yeah like the real resource the real true treasure of of trill is the species themselves the symbiote species you know not even just the trill or the symbiotes, it's, the, it's, it's what happens with, with that joining and just the, the sheer generational history that's preserved from one host to another. And that is, that's priceless. You yeah, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering how many, I mean, he obviously said like almost the entire symbiont species or whatever was wiped out, you know, when the burn happened. I'm wondering how, how many is that? Like how many of those symbionts do they actually have roaming around the universe? And I have to believe there are the most of them were wiped out because they were serving on a warp on, capable on a, ship. On a warp capable ship, I mean, certainly Dax might have been. Yeah. Which uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people ask, like, "Well, why wasn't it? Why wasn't the symbiont Dax? Why was it tall?" Um, who's to say that they won't explain that later? Maybe Dax was killed. Dax, da- the symbiont Dax is killed in a in a non-canon novel. So, like, mm-hmm. that's. It could be. Ha- <laughs> Dax has been killed off in one way, but. Um, yeah. You know, maybe Dax, maybe Dax died. Oh, let's not think about that. Or at least I, I can't think that. about that now because I'm still working through Deep Space Nine. <laughs> anyway, uh, we got to <laughs> let you go, Chris. Um, it was good seeing you. Thank you so much for bringing the game, the headgear game. Of course. That is, that is, yeah. a, that is a signature statement. Um, never change. Don't ever change, pal. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Before we get on to our next caller, um, I'd like to take a, a moment here to to thank 
uh, our sponsor, Eagle Moss Hero Collector, and talk a little, a little bit about their Star Trek book collection. So I know that many listeners have already heard this before, but for those of you who are watching this for the first time, first of all, thank you for listening to this for the first time. And secondly, you got to listen to this spiel because this is what we have to do. So uh, the Star Trek, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Star Trek universe by Hero, uh, Eagle Moss Hero Collector, they have special edition books published by Eagle Moss and are available online at the Eagle Moss shop. Uh, fans who pay a visit to, to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published. Each extensively researched and developed by Eagle Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson, who we love. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> books from the Star, Star Trek Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in the Star Trek TV shows and movies from the original series forward to Discovery and backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on uh, other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans, the Andorans, the Tellarites, the Bajorans, so on and so forth. Books in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before, deep behind the scenes into the conception, the development, and the detail of ships from every era. There are even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection. So if you're a fan of Eagle Moss and you're a fan of the Eagle Moss ships and the quality of those ships, the quality of the magazines that come in those ships, all the detail, all the little behind-the-scenes tidbits, if you like perusing through those and collecting those, you have no fear here because Eagle Moss Hero Collector, they put the same kind of quality into these books, the same kind of attention to detail, and the same kind of care that you as a fan would appreciate and love to collect. There's, there's something for every Star Trek fan of every generation with this collection. Plus, especially for friends of Mission Log Live... Use Mission 10 at checkout and receive 10% off all books and graphic novels. To browse around the shop, visit herocollector.com forward slash books and use promo code Mission 10 for that 10% off at checkout. That is your hey. special Mission Log discount. Hooray. All righty. So <laughs> we have uh, BC up on the line for us here. So Earl, go ahead and pipe in BC and if he's ready to talk about little Star Trek Discovery. Your background. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Good. How are you? I doing? am so amused by your background. Thank you so much. Yeah, I was. You know, I heard that there was going to be a little Star Trek convention here at the Four Seasons, but I think I got the wrong address. <laughs> um. So that means you're staring across the street at the other place, right? Oh yeah, it says it's a bookstore. It is yeah. a bookstore, and it says yes. fantasy, so it might be science fiction related. I don't know. I, oh. I, I implore you not to step inside. Okay, please. well, I'll... <laughs> what are <laughs> your thoughts on now. this week's episode? <laughs> Apologies to the podcasters listening later. Going, what are they talking about? Um, That's why you got to be here live. Yes. Right? To enjoy that kind of fun. Um, a story I thought was a, it was a great episode. It was very emotional and everything. Of course, I, it brought all sorts of continuity things to mind, which I figure maybe Holly can weigh in on in terms of, uh, you know. Um, for instance, well, going back to the thing you said about the trill being wiped out, I wasn't clear if it was 
is it the symbionts that are in short supply or the hosts on Trill? Which Trill? Well, I mean, obviously, it would be the symbionts that he's talking about because he's talking about, you know, they carry our memories. And, it, and it's the symbionts that have lived, you know, X amount of lives, more than, you know, more than one. You know, each Trill lives a single life like a human does but the symbiont is what's living several lives and their history is obviously within the memories of the symbiont so not only did they obviously lose a lot of of their trill humanoid people um but whoever was a host obviously lost i mean it, it and we've seen several of several hosts pass away I mean, even in this episode, we see Tall go from from Gray to Adira, but um, and, and so that's possible, but not in context of of a ship that they're on detonating, right? Right. So it's <laughs> it, it's it's kind of ambiguous, but I also was wondering if they meant Trill hosts or in short supply as well, because I, I it was a little I mean, strange. I mean, that's also a possibility. Um, I. I would think that by the time, I mean, you know, having had the the burn happen a hundred years before, um, that they would have had the opportunity over the course of the last hundred years to train people to become hosts. Because you know, the the trill hosts that we see, by and large, they are they are trained for many years. We learned that in Deep Space Nine. We learned that in in, in TNG's right. the host. Um, so I would think that a hundred years would be enough time for them to have enough trill humanoids to be hosts but there's probably not that many symbionts left yeah that's actually uh, um, something that i'd love to know like uh, you asked before holly like how many are there because obviously it takes a lot of preparation it takes a lot of of weeding out you know candidates to become hosts you have and to we've seen those- we've seen what happens when when a host is not properly prepared in right. deep space nine when the dax symbiont is actually stolen mm-hmm. right. and the, the the host who who steals the symbiont is is not is not prepared obviously adira was not prepared either um and that's partially why she doesn't have memories yet but right. that's but that also could be because she's human Um, which I thought, you know, a lot of people had questions about that. I even had questions about that. And, you know, at the beginning of the episode, one of the, one of the trill characters says, uh, no one has ever seen a human host. Not entirely true. I mean, we saw Riker, but it was only short term. We haven't seen a long-term human host. And I think, I actually think that that's answered in this episode because Gray in the flashback says that the joining is based on trust. And then later we see, um, all of the hosts, um, obviously, and then Tal, uh, he says, Tal accepts you as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is is that why humans have not been able to host? Because the symbionts didn't fully trust them? Or the Trill elders didn't fully trust humans, as we saw when mm-hmm. when Adira was presented to them. I think that that's a, a really important point because, it, obviously, it, it, it didn't really cause Adira any type of, like, a, you know, physical trauma or rejection because rejection is a possibility is kind of like rejecting an organ. If an organ donor, you know, is, uh, you know, if someone puts an organ, right. Which we, which we've seen happen. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to see some of that addressed probably in the next episode or something is that, how is this possible? That thing we have a human host and it's not being rejected. 
Yeah, and I think yeah. that that was slightly touched on with some of the some of the commentary in this episode, especially when you know she's talking to the former hosts. Um, but I do hope that they expand on that more. I mean, my thought process was is we're also 930 years into the future. There might be some technology that allows it. But I mean, I was also like, but a lot of the a lot a lot of stuff got wiped out. You know, when you wipe out, you know, X percentage of the entire population of the universe like how much brain power did we lose in that how many you know brilliant scientists and stuff did and and is in our is our um scientific and technological advancement sort of has it been paused because so many people were lost wasn't a a deep space nine episode that uh, discussed this kind of dirty little secret that more trill hosts on the planet trill are capable of hosting a symbiont than are normally um known i mean yeah but even if if even if they're capable they still have to go through the training because they you have to mentally prepare them for having right they have to they have to be mentally strong enough to handle you know 10 lifetimes worth of memories i guess that's why i got to thinking it was the hosts that were in short supply because i mean honestly it's both probably it's probably both yeah. yeah. And I also mean, the fact that they were on a generation ship was a little confusing. That's like, yeah. if they were on a sublight, sublight ship somewhere, then how did they, how did Adira ever get back to Earth? In the right. First- I was, I was thinking about that too, because she did say that they were on a generational ship, that they were both, um, orphans Mm -hmm. and uh actually the explosion that we see is an asteroid hitting the ship right which i learned reading some after chatter about it um so i i don't know where the ship was obviously a generational ship means that the people on board are you know two or three generations out possibly from the main the the main crew that that started with which we also sort of see in voyager in like an alternate reality we see like their sons and daughters and stuff and like each have grown up and like so that's uh that's kind of been done before in star trek but yeah i don't know i'm sure that they'll explain it but i'm really i'm really interested in seeing where the ship was um how close it was in proximity to earth because you also have to remember that this symbiote's last host was on an outbound ship when he was killed, but he wasn't, I mean, it obviously didn't like detonate because the symbiont was saved mm-hmm. and then transported into gray. Well, maybe they um, were like a week away from their destination at that point. That yeah. Time. So I'm really curious as to how that all sort of came together. And I'm a hundred percent sure that they've thought about that, but sure. it just hasn't been revealed yet. So like, where were they? What were they doing? How close were they to earth? How did the last host die that it wasn't so bad that like, the symbiont actually survived. Yeah. And it was an admiral in Starfleet. That was 12 years ago. Remember? So they, yeah. that was the, yeah. the, maybe he died right before that or right, right, right after that ship left. And when we see when gray dies, the, the medical computer is like transferring it right then and there over mm-hmm. to Adira. So like, she just happens to be there. And I, I don't, I don't, obviously gray wasn't there because she's been, on, or uh, he's been on the generational ship. So like, I, Mm, we'll see. We'll see. The writers are <laughs> smart. They'll figure it out. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> they've, already, they've already figured it out because they've already shot it. And stuff. <laughs> well, the one other aspect of the Trill uh, um, that I'm curious about now is when was first contract made with them? Because 
when we first see them in TNG, it's like, we don't know anything about these symbionts and things. And then it's kind of established quickly that, oh, these are Trill and this is what they do. And now they have spots instead of a prosthetic forehead. But um, then we learned that Dax, an earlier Dax host, knew Dr. McCoy for a brief time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We learned that in Trials and Trials so, and Tribulations, which yeah. I actually watched the other day recently. <laughs> so uh, are, are well, the Trill done in the 23rd century? And if so, didn't they kind of, didn't Saru kind of do an exposition dump on us in the last episode as to who the who the trill were? Because I think I think he got that information from the from the uh, sphere data because I don't think he knew at the time either. Well, I mean, obviously, trials and tribulations is uh, that's where we learned that like they could have. Po- I mean, obviously, they were on Earth because she was a uh, she was judging a the, the host of Dax at that time was judging a gymnastics competition. Emily. Yeah. Yeah, Emony was. Oh, yeah. So, um I don't know if they've actually and this is probably why like in Trials and Tribulations they were allowed to just throw that in there is that it hasn't I don't think it's actually been established like when any first contact with anyone from the Federation um got in contact with uh with Trill. But I mean, I I do know that the uh the hosting like the records in terms of like Trill's joining and stuff date back to our 12th century. So, I mean, we at least know that, but I don't think that it's ever been established like when the first contact was with them as a that's race. A, and that's assuming that Emily led on that she's a trill to McCoy. All McCoy knows is that... I mean, right, because we do you know? see in the same episode, Trials and Tribulations, we see Dax sort of cover up her, mm-hmm. her trill spots. So spots. The, the, the host would remember McCoy, but McCoy wouldn't remember that necessarily that she was an alien. Right. Well, that kind of implies the Trill were sort of stealthily going around the galaxy, maybe for the first century or so. Perhaps. Really you know. revealing, because in, in, in Next Gen, we didn't have any idea until it became a medical necessity to learn that there was a symbiont involved in the, yeah. the Trill. So. Um, I, I, anyway. And I, I think in terms of like them meeting another species, I think uh, like early 23rd century is when they talk about the them the trill talking to uh vulcan and i think that's in um that's in uh destiny De- deep space nine's destiny so oh, see. see i knew you had all the answers holly she does don't ask me any of these hard questions i just i have to think about it i have to like it's like a rolodex in my <laughs> it head take very long for you to come up with all of that that's amazing okay well that's that's interesting thank you for uh edifying me on that I I feel like and this is why I'm excited that that they're doing I mean obviously the expansion on the trill in Deep Space Nine was great but uh, there's still all of these like weird little tidbits of information that got dropped in Deep Space Nine that they can totally work with in order to expand the the that entire species even more. And I'm, I'm excited that we got to see like where the sort of me- physical mental space of like those pools are, like where they go. Obviously we've never seen anybody like pulled underneath like that. That didn't really happen in equilibrium, but. Um, oh yeah. That, they didn't have the budget for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, that expansion is, you know, and I, it, do you guys feel like that's a mental space that they're in or is that an actual physical space because it wasn't really clear and i'm interested in i think it's, it's a synaptic virtual mental you think it's a real space synaptic space it's, it's in the oh, synaptic okay, space. Space. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay, so you think that it's in there, that it that it's something that they're they're underneath the water, something is allowing them not to drown, and what they're seeing is like being projected in their brain. That's what I I think, or else okay. we would they would be walking around in water. I mean, there's no wrong answer because they right. haven't explained <laughs> what it is yet. Well, it seemed like they were holding their breath, so. <laughs> yeah, when they come up, and I also the the only thing that made me be like, oh, it's definitely a, a, a mental space is that when they're in that space, they're not soaking wet, and then when they come up out of it. Also, time passes differently, so they could, you know, take one breath and go through all of that within a few seconds and then resurface. Right, like, a, like, like we have dreams, everything seems to be going slow, but in reality, in our REM sleep, when we have a dream that, that we think is long, it's only a few seconds. Well, speaking of holding their breath, I'm going to have to, uh, <laughs> we have another caller waiting, so I just wanted to say thank you, BC, for uh, these incredibly detailed questions that I couldn't answer, but I'm glad that Holly could. <laughs> and. Uh, Welcome. Appreciate you calling in, but uh, Ken's been holding his breath for quite a while. He's hanging outside of Discovery right now, and we don't oh, want Ken. his oxygen supply to run out. So, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's good to see you, and thanks for uh, the Photoshop work. Um, very <laughs> funny, welcome. very funny, and very timely. I'm so pleased. <laughs> right, thanks for calling in, BC. Right. See um, appreciate seeing you. All right. So, Ken, Ken's up, and uh, take a deep exhale or breathe a deep exhale because. <laughs> Finally, you're, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're here. Right, turn, on, turn on your O2. Ken and I are actually, Ken and I are good friends. Oh, good it's stuff. Good stuff. Kind of a, 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 not a plant in the audience. This is a spontaneous guy in tonight when I saw it posted on social media. But uh, Oh, good. You can ask Holly all the hard questions then because I. Well, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to stump Holly, though. I mean, you got to admit. So. <laughs> Um, anyways, I, I just, not possible uh, though. I've been I've been stumped before. We'll give it a try. Uh, two two things I wanted to to have you guys talked about a little bit more. Um, first of all, I was fascinated by the way they brought Gray into the story, mm. and I'm wondering is there any precedent in either uh, you know film or TV or in in the non-canon books like you've talked about for a, a trill host. Uh, seeing almost a physical representation of a previous. Um, I don't believe like there has been, and I will a hundred percent admit there are, I don't even know how many novels there are. There are so many novels. When I was maintaining the Star Trek archive at CBS, the official archive, we had an entire room that was just a library of the novels. Um, and I mean, we had every novel that has ever been written, including, you know, like Shatner wrote some novels, like there's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't off the top of my head recall there being any precedence for that aside from them seeing it when they're in those pools. Um, so that I think, I think that's a new concept. And if anybody in the chat wants to correct me, they're welcome to see, I don't know everything because <laughs> as many books as I have read, a, I don't think that I've read every single one and B it's so much material on top of like, we're almost at 800 episodes of Star Trek at this point, by the end of the season of discovery, we will be things escape me, <laughs> but I don't think that there is no. Well, it's, it's maybe fair to, to think that gray is in a similar mental space as they were in in the pools right just in, just in this case just in adira's head right and i th i think that if this had ever happened before that it might have been recorded in troll history and when and when she asks gray how is this possible gray literally says that he doesn't know that's right 
But then so, again, the precedent of a human trail joining has never been done either. Also, and I and I don't believe there's ever been also a a. Um, I mean, we see in Rejoined that there are two characters that were married. They were both hosts, and then you know their their symbionts went on to two other people, and you know it ends up being with Dax, and and so that's what we see in that episode. But I don't. Th- think that there has there's never obviously never been any story about the symbiont going between lovers between you know they were in a they were in a relationship so um that that might be part of it that that you know they obviously had an intimate connection with each other having had that sort of relationship so uh i i'm interested to see how that unfolds and i i want to believe that that's probably part of it i agree i mean like there's that whole there's the kind of like the the assumption that emotionally they share a connection and now right. physically they share a connection so that you have these, you know, get into the techno babble of it. You have these neurosynaptic pathways that are now joined between not just the electrochemical response between, you know, how memories are stored, but also this intangible emotional connection that they have between the two of them. Like, like souls connecting to each other. You know, Mm -hmm. if you want to get into this, you know, more, uh, you know, existential quality of, of their joining, uh, that's, that's something that's really important. And I'm glad that they're exploring it because sometimes they're just there. You can't, you can't put a scientific term on how people want to, or, or fight to stay connected through, through loss. Right. Cause some people, you know, that's reinforced too by how smoothly they seem to accept it. I mean, there was sure. like no, no dysfunction or discontinuity, you know, it's just right. like, yes, you're here, of course. And, and um, yes. And we also don't know, and somebody is commenting on this and this is in my notes too. somebody, uh, David says that it sounds like gray didn't have tall very long, which I, I a hundred percent agree with. We don't mm-hmm. actually know, but uh, gray was joined after Senatol, who's the, you know, the character that we're actually looking for because he's the one that has the location of the Federation. Um, Gray, obviously, like, Gray was on the generational ship that he literally says they were looking for the Federation. So was he, he he obviously wasn't joined with Tal, with the Tal symbiote long enough to get that information from Senna. Right, right. Otherwise, like maybe, I, oh, and and you know, after he was joined in the scene that we see where he's playing the the cello, and she gives him you know that gift, and then you know the the thing com- the asteroid comes in and kills him. Um, wh- what were they do? Were they on their way to the Federation? Like, did 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 he know from Senna's memories like where the Federation was? And he was like, oh, now now we know, and that's what we were doing, and we're on our way. Um, but then you know, why doesn't why doesn't she know? Why did, think, why are we, why did we go on this search? Does it, why does Adira not know? I think the more and more and more, you know, that, that the show goes on, we're going to see more revealed as those connections become stronger because right now they're, they're, they're just finding their ways into Adira's memory. So they're having that shared, you know, that shared um, relationship of experiences. But as of right now, it's just kind of like she's fighting through, well, Adira and Tal are both fighting through kind of like this fog. And the only thing that's, that, that's crystal clear to her is that she understands that, you know, Gray is still with her in this, you know, again, in this kind of like existential, existentialist sense that no one else can see him. But it's a projection of not just his memories, but being able to 
like recall those memories so clearly that he's there. Right. And, and still, I guess, living in a way through her or next to her. Mm-hmm. I like the way the grace seemed to be able to get a read on Burnham in the short time that she's been connected to all this. Cause when she says, you haven't told her about me yet. And she says, well, I, I, I don't know if she'll, you know, believe it. And, and Grace says, yeah, I think she will. Like, you know, she's very familiar with her. Like she's already gotten um, a data dump as it were pretty complete from Adir uh, back about Burnham. But I mean, they also, I, that's true. And they also, I think, you know, having that experience together down on Trill was also helpful to that relationship too. And mm-hmm. it wasn't, a terribly traumatic I like I, I you know I, I hate to use the, the the term trauma bonding because I don't actually think that's what was going on but you know having that sort of experience together I think obviously like you sort of get to know somebody pretty quickly well, I yeah. think Culver made a good choice and I think he knows that Burnham likes Burnham has a she has like a, a natural mentoring quality like she's she's good at helping people develop because she's oh, what does Colbert say about her, though? And I thought it was a really great term. He calls her a responsibility, uh, responsibility hoarder, hoarder. <laughs> right? Which I thought was uh, as soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh, that's a really good way to describe Burnham." Yeah, and yeah. that's that's part of her growth process is to is to unburden herself of that by sometimes responsibility is also another way of saying that you're you're um, you're holding on to too much of your own experience. You know, you need to share those experiences with others and help them grow. Right. So the thing is that if you, it's kind of like being a, a, a manager and a, an employee at the same time. Mm, but this is where the also uh, asking for help comes in too. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So that, that's, that's this growth process that, that we're going through. Well, we're going through with them and uh, in doing so she's kind of helping Burnham grow. And then in doing so Burnham's also helping Adira grow. And then eventually Tal will grow through Adira. So all of this, um, being able to expose yourself and to let down these walls and to let people connect and to let people ask for help or give that help when it's being asked for, this is like, this is the good stuff. This is what the Star Trek that, you know, we love seeing. We love seeing these growth potentials in people and letting them evolve in front of our eyes because in doing so, we evolve, you know, with them. You know, we find ways to connect with, with our heroes in that sense. And, and being able to see people that are these hero characters, so strong and so capable, smart, independent, but vulnerable and, and frail and fragile sometimes. They're us, right? Yeah. yeah. I love the way, too, that they're expanding Detmer now as, as a character. This episode really gave a, th- a third dimension, I think, to her as well. And I hope they spend time, I think they're supposed to, they said they're, they're going to spend time in season three kind of going around the bridge crew and letting you know them better. But I, I sure was, hope so. I love that. I yeah, and I mean they're they're a hundred percent like you can tell they're 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 building up to something with Detmer, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was literally just her asking for help, or it might be in the next episode that we find out what is actually going on with her, which I I personally think is some sort of PTSD, yeah. um, and I think that that would be an interesting uh, concept for them to explore, um, especially because there's a lot of people that 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 suffer from PTSD and not just from, um, you know, 
being, you know, at war and stuff like certainly we have, you know, soldiers coming back from overseas and stuff that are, that are experiencing PTSD, but there's a lot of people that are experiencing PTSD because of a lot of different reasons. I mean, even, you know, of an abusive relationship, so on and so forth. So or being uh, locked down in COVID that's brought out a lot of, yeah, you know, I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mental instability that's happening with, with, yeah, with that too. Um, well, given this was all, you know, written well before COVID, it's amazing how applicable it is. I mean, you know, they're in this situation. They've you know, been tossed into the future, but they've been cut off from everybody like a lot of people are nowadays. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I mean, they look like geniuses, although I, I think they just, you know, stumbled <laughs> into the situation. Oh, that was a coincidence. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but, on, but to that point, you know, the, uh, the conversation that Saru has with with Colbert in his ready room when it's the same scene where he says that um, we, you know, everybody is healthy physically, but mentally we're all sort of, you know, askew. He basically says like, they don't feel important to anybody because discovery could like disappear tomorrow and no one will mourn them, which it is real something that I didn't even think about. You know, obviously I thought about, you know, how many people that they've passed by their, you know, obviously their immediate families or have been gone for centuries and like, who knows if their family line is still going, but I didn't think about if discovery got blown up tomorrow, if they got attacked by some crazy baddie and they, they were all destroyed, like no one would mourn them. I, th- I feel like the only person that might be mourned is Michael by book because she's had a year to build that, relationship but the rest of them only have relationships with each other in this time and that's why the trill was so important in this episode because a trill is in in many ways immortal in a sense if they're if they can continue to find the right host to expand the life of the trill you know they they have a legacy that can span centuries right and when that trill dies or if that trill dies at least you know or the host dies that trill will live on and those memories will live on. There will be somebody that will mourn those memories and live on to create new memories and the cycle begins again. Right. But, if they ent- but the, since Discovery is, basically they are the last of their lineage for most parts. Mm-hmm. That means that if they get blinked out of existence, they have no legacy to leave. Right. right? Their, their legacy ends there. And, you know, as, as at least for humankind, you know, as obviously it affects Tilly really strongly. It affects a lot of the human species on that ship very strongly. It's because the roots are gone, you know, and it goes back to the episode before, you know, people of earth, when they see that tree, that tree is gigantic. It's the roots of humanity. Right. It's the roots. It's a really great representation. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. fantastic. You know, she touches it, she hugs it and it, it grounds them all in, in their own mortality, but they're also, they have, they understand that if the tree goes on, we go on, these roots go on and they right. need to know that they need to know that they have established a new future and then they can create something from this future moving forward. That's the Federation. So that's that hope that we still see that through line that we still see amongst all this despair that the Federation, as long as we can continue the roots of who we are, then we live on. We live on in this cause and, and we live on in this premise that we're going to bring a new hope. I'm not stealing that. <laughs> a new hope, you know, to the future, to the future that we're in now. 
That's important to people. That's important. Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, it was so so amazing to have that come out in the first episode, right when we were all perhaps in the depths of our depression, not only about COVID but the election and everything. And it came out like just in time. Just hope is a powerful thing, and sometimes right. it feels like it's the only thing. Uh, someone in in the chat, and I, I'm, we're having a very serious conversation. But this is a this is a great pun. Alan said, "If uh, if disco gets blown up, book will hold a grudge." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's Ooh. Alan. That's what Alan does. And Alan, Ooh, you better yes. use that in one of the memes next uh, coming up somewhere. <laughs> Well, finally, I should uh, probably let you guys go too, but uh, let's talk about Zora for a minute. I was, I I love that it popped up so quickly uh, here and, you know, it's, they didn't identify her as as Zora yet, but she certainly, uh, the the AI seems to have the personality. Right. So this is, yeah, from the Calypso. And so I think that's, I mean, I, you know, having, watch that watch that and be like how did the discovery get there why is the computer like that um but yeah this is i mean obviously they had this in mind for a, a long time like the writers know what they're doing you guys yeah, um, they, drop, they drop that in just because they want to watch us squirm in our seats and want to know why and of right. course now, now they've got they've got us temporarily misplaced here because they're displaced because they've got you know we know zara has to be a thousand years away from having seen the crew at some point and how's that going to happen? Then you've got, um, uh, the emperor. I just Giorgio? chased that her name. Giorgio. Giorgio. You know, what's she, what's she doing in the 32nd century? You know, we all, I think we're assuming that section 31 was going to be back in the original discovery timeline, but does it, maybe it's going to be in the 32nd century now. Oh. There's nothing thinking about it. There's nothing they've ever said that forces it to be back. You know, pre TOS like that, right? right. Yeah. So and I'm not we'll even going to ask. <laughs> it's um, interesting well, to look forward to, and I think it would be great to be there too. Again, break them out of can- uh, canon restrictions if they were to do that, and I'd love to see Michelle be, be free. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Life. I love that they're in the future. I was I was talking about that today with with uh, one of the bosses at Roddenberry that I'm like, I'm so glad that they're like in, in the future because there's a lot of stuff that that they can reference, but that like it's not canon that they absolutely have to adhere to. Like they're unshackled at this point, which is great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are at the we are at that magic hour time. I hate to do this because this is such a fantastic conversation with you, Ken, but um, we just have to say thanks for calling in and Nice to meet you for the first time. Hope I hope I get to see you again. Okay, thanks for chatting and good to see you, Holly. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> right, right, thanks, Ken. Take care. Wow, that was a fast hour, huh? Yeah. <laughs> talking about Star Trek, man. Hours go by fast. Always fun. Always fun. It's always fun to uh, be with you talking about Star Trek, Holly. You are. I'm so glad you're here because um, I would be just kind of scanning the internet trying to find answers for people and failing at my job because I don't have the kind of recall that you have. I'm a good, I'm a good on the spot talker, but when it comes to the, the trivia and all that kind of stuff, I leave it to experts like you. Whew. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot of information up here. You guys, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. I got to roll a Rolodex through. <laughs> I just wanted to thank everyone on the, uh, on the chat here. Uh, thanks for being so active. Um, we are reading a lot of the chats and I'm sorry that we don't get a chance to, to read all of them out loud. We got to some, 
and uh, hopefully we can get to more in the future. But we had so many good calls in today, and, and um, we have so much left to chat about. I mean, we still haven't even got to our own notes, and that usually happens on these shows. But um, maybe we can get to a little bit more conversation next week with John and Holly. So uh, until next time, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log is live is done by the indispensable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. And remember, cufflinks and these lapel pins, I'll get this right one time, they have been supplied to us by cufflinksinc.com. So thank you to Holly again for joining us, for making this, this show so special, special for me. Thanks for having me. It was a fun discussion. Always great to have you here. So thank you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We look forward to talking with you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.